Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. So welcome back. Been another month, Jesse. We failed him again. <laughs> welcome to episode 142, Living Among. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us here at the Worldwide Shedquarters in Blacksburg, Virginia. We are back. We meant to be every two weeks. We are here, Jesse, again. We're going to do it, though. We're going to get to every two weeks. We are. We are. Um, we had a little interference in our recording schedule, mainly because I the one day that I was back in town, I've been gone so much. It's been unbelievable. This, I think, has been my most ridiculous travel schedule since I started this organization in 2016. And the one day we were back, I thought I would have it, but I had like a migraine headache, and then we rescheduled, and I was coming back off another trip, and I think your mom came in town. And we're like, hey, you know, our, our, our listeners don't mind once a month, but we're back, Jesse. <laughs> Uh, we are in the series Real Witness in a Raging Culture. But before that, did I tell you my son uh, is like playing? He's balling in soccer right now. You're, all of your kids are <laughs> stars in different ways. Well, we think so. Of course, you know, we've we our little kiddos. <laughs> we like them. Yeah, they they've had a good week. Kylene uh, got another award. Good grief. She got the, like rookie athlete like the of the year freshman of the year rookie of the year for her university all sports and so we we're like good grief guy like leave something leave something on the table for later you know what i'm saying but we're proud of and her Kay- kayla's gonna probably be the president one day kayla's like the president she's like the mayor of sweden or something right now she's in an international <laughs> business class she, she's like yeah i met this girl on a tour and so then we went to the opera <laughs> <laughs> just like, okay, dude, go to the opera. Be careful. You're in a foreign country. Yeah. Keep your head on a swivel. And then last And then what about Thomas last Monahan? Last night, uh, we got a little we got a little just before halftime, Thomas Monahan feeding Kai Fang who puts the mustard yes, on it. Yes, yes, winning VCU goal. Puts the mustard on it. Puts the mustard on it. Yeah, Tommy had a nice little interception in the midfield assist right to uh, our best player who swacked it in last night where they beat their rival, their new rival, Patrick Henry. They're in a different division than us, but the same district. So we won't play them in states or anything, but we beat them last night. So go yeah, Blacksburg, man. go Blacksburg, yeah, go Tommy, yeah, famous. Yeah, so enough of our kids, enough of those kids. Um, <laughs> you, you've got a trip coming up with your boys, man. That's I'm right. excited to hear that. Yeah, I'm going backpacking. Uh, we've never done this. We've, did did we've, that involve sleeping outside? Oh, in a tent. Yeah, in a tent. Yeah. So, so we've done uh, we've done camping before. Okay. Like car camping, drive up to but our. You know. Not Tom Haverford glamping style. <laughs> no, no, not that nice. No. But this time we're like packing ourselves in. We got everything on our backs, and we'll hike. We'll be on the AT on the Appalachian awesome. Trail. Awesome. Um, so me and my two boys, a friend and his son, are going to go for two nights this weekend, yeah. and um, do a little fishing, do a little hiking. We've got there's this man. There are some like alpine areas here in Virginia in the mountains that I didn't really know about. Get up a little higher. You get up above, yeah. not the tree line, but in, it's a whole different kind of topography. Okay. Really cool. Really, and we'll, so we'll do one of those hikes and uh, big awesome. views. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Awesome. I was trying to tell some guys last week when we were in Colorado looking at the Rocky Mountains. I was like, hey, Virginia doesn't have this, but we got some good stuff, man. You guys would like it if, if you ever come out to the Blue Ridge. So you'll have to. Fill me in on the Alpine Virginia action because oh, yeah. uh, that would be fun. Well, Jesse, um, we are we are excited to be talking about real witness in a raging culture. We've been talking about hey, we have this raging culture situation. People like to debate, argue, get all political and crazy. And we said, hey, we need to be respectful in this culture, not just to be nice, right? Um, we're not just trying to be nice. 
we're trying to really engage with other people as witnesses, right? Pointing to Jesus who saves. And to do that, it requires us to have a certain posture in place with folks. And so last time I introduced this, uh, I guess it's an acrostic. I like to think of it as a kingdom. Yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not an alpine <laughs> kingdom. It's even better. It's, it's Asseldar. Uh, it's Asseldar that we're going to be going through here together. I do uh, this kind of training on the road of how to have an evangelistic culture in your local church. And Asseldar stands for among, live amongst people, share your life, share the gospel, listen to folks, right, with an intent on sharing the gospel, disrupt, ask questions to get people to doubt their own assumption, give good answers to people's questions, and then repeat over time to have a witness and presence with folks. So we're going to be taking these next uh, seven episodes every two weeks-ish, every month at least, um, to look at these in a little more detail. Now, Jesse... Uh, the first one we're looking at today is living among. In other words, we real witness requires us being around people, right? Now, theologically, um, our model here is the incarnation yeah. itself, right? Um, anybody who's doing like, hey, you know, taking uh, the gospel cross cultures uh, will have to go and be among people, right? This idea that God himself identified with humanity as becoming a human being, the world became flesh and dwelt among us. We too then incarnate with others. We have to live amongst them. Uh, we're, we have a distinctiveness, right? Saltiness. We are Christians. We belong to Jesus uh, as his people, as his church. But we overlap and we must overlap with people in culture. If we don't do that, there can simply be simply no real witness. There can be no witness mm. at all. But there are enemies, right? Um, you would think, you know... People who follow Jesus maybe take his commission on us seriously. Hey, take the gospel to others. Uh, would think, oh, yeah, everybody does that. But there are real, some real barriers for folks who may be church folks uh, to actually be among or amongst. I don't even know which one's grammatically correct. Is there a difference? I think they're the same, among or amongst. I, I think we just stick with among. Yeah, you're an yeah. English major. <laughs> Don't ask me to stop. <laughs> so, but there are enemies to among, right? Um, yeah. uh, we're going to give you guys three things that'll keep you from being uh, present, really, with folks that don't know know, know Christ. Mm. Yeah, the first is is uh, you know, in terms of moving from be enemies to among, would be really kind of fighting against being judgmental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I recognize, by the way, that like uh, sort of living in the world of enemies, it looks different depending on where you are. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. And, and we make judgments. We should make judgments absolutely, about yeah. right and wrong and what we're going to do. Yeah. Or not so do. it's, it's, it's it maybe what, what I'm describing is more of like a posture towards your neighbor. Yeah. So certainly, you know, I don't think that as Christians, we're called to sort of, well, certainly we're never called to engage in sinful acts or, right. or, uh, you know, take part of, you know, nonsense. Don't take term. part in the evil deeds of darkness. That's right. right. Yeah. But, uh, and you don't have to actually affirm those things or endorse those things in order to be present or even yeah. be a friend to your neighbor. Yeah. Um, and, and I know in my life being known as a kind of, uh, a, a small town. So everybody, yeah. not everybody, most people know I'm a pastor in a small town. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of like tests you know, like if I if I curse to you or I say this thing about this or if I if I act a certain way, what are you? How are you going to react? Right, to me? right, and right. Uh, and and so I think a lot of times just being able to be like, yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah, but 
I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, there is an, an excessive judgmentalism that I've seen among some Christians where they just can't be around folks. Yeah. They, oh, they use the wrong la- type of language or dress the they, wrong way. They look they, different, you know, and so there's a judgmentalism which has nothing to do with really ethics. It has to do with like, hey, I expect them to act like Christians. They don't, so I don't hang with them. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's a barrier. And I think you just right. got you just got on it of like if we expect our non-Christian neighbors to act like Christians because we think that we're all Christians or so we're yeah. you know, we're living yeah. in a Christianized West or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh then then we're we're applying the wrong judgment to them in terms that's of right. That's right. Our expectations. That's right. So enemies to among excessive judgmentalism. Uh, I, I experienced this next one. I'm just calling it Christian cul-de-sacs, um, where quite literally you can, and even in this U.S. US America, you can live your life completely around only people who are Christian people. That's a, that's a damaging thing to witness the barrier to being amongst non-Christians. This is a, I experienced this, Jesse. I, I once was a pastor in the, the great city you of were, you Nashville. Were in, yeah, Disneyland. For, yeah, Christian Disneyland. Yeah. I passed like 13 good churches from my house to my office. <laughs> I mean, not, and I'm not, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like good ones that I would recommend to people. It's yeah. like, I felt so redundant. I'm like, Lord, why am I here? I like people. I like, I like Probably the not a good li- fit for you. I like the borderlands. Yeah. My wife loved it. We were yeah. living in Christie Disneyland. Uh, I wanted to get out, so we moved to New Jersey from Nashville, which was much different. But I remember being in a small group, right? A lot of churches have small groups. We called ours community groups. Wonderful, wonderful human beings. Um, some of the most encouraging people I've ever known. But one day I was feeling a little crusty because I'm wired evangelistically. I love the borderlands between the church and culture. I love seeing people come to know Christ. And I was And crusty. occasionally you're crusty. Occasionally I'm crusty. <laughs> I get crusty about things and maybe a little cynical. And so I was just trying to encourage our group about this. And I realized in this really honest discussion we had that that hardly anyone in our whole small group knew anyone right. who was outside of the right. faith. And and that was shocking to me because I didn't grow up being kind of Bible Belt uh, Christian stuff, and you know there was look all good things like the there are, I'm around homeschool people all day and they're all Christian. Um, I work for like a Christian business or I work for Dave Ramsey or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, I'm around one guy who was like an engineer had some folks in the office, but even then they were like kind of church folk, nominally you know? Christian, nominally yeah. Christian. And so now. Is it the case, like, because I asked this, right? Is it the case that everyone in our entire city is a church person? Well, the answer is clearly no, demographically yeah. no. But it's easy to get in the Christian cul de sac and only live there. If you do that, you will never be amongst people who need who need to hear the gospel from us. So, mm. excessive judgmentalism, Christian cul de sacs, and the the third one, um, I guess these are all somewhat related, is kind of living a self absorbed life. This is real easy. For all of us as uh, Americans, right, we have a lot of freedoms. Um, we have a lot of responsibilities, right? You uh, go to work. You have to make money. You have your own family. Uh, they, you know, they play soccer. Might you know, might end up excited that they're on the news, right? Um, it's real easy to just get absorbed into that. After all, like, hey, having a family and loving them and providing for them, these are godly things, mm-hmm. right? He commanded of us in Scripture. 
But if we become so self-absorbed, we might miss, right, what God is doing around us. And this is uh, in soccer. I mean, I, I I love the football, Jesse. I used to hate it as a kid, and now it's my favorite Same sport. Here. And, I and I love it now, yeah, too. I excessively watch this. I mean, your kids are playing. Yeah. I love it. You're, you're a coach now, aren't you? I was the head coach of the fourth place team out of six, <laughs> and uh, very proud of that. Yes, the Radford, and junior, Radford Pulaski Junior League. Combined. Let's let's go top four. Top four make you a lot of money in the Premier League, <laughs> Jesse. But in soccer, right? If you have if you're kind of have the ball, and you're only absorbed in your like dribbling and your skills, mm-hmm. and your your head is down, right? You won't see the field that's going on around you. My my middle kid, Kylene's great at this in soccer. She's always got her head up. She picks her head up, and she can see the field. And this is something if we're living a self absorbed life, even with good things, right? We won't see, yeah. right, what God is doing around us or the people, right? If you pick your head up, you might see the pass, they'll score the goal. If you pick your head up and look and say, God, give me eyes to see. Like Jesus saw the world, he saw it, he looked out and had compassion like because he looked at them like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. If we get our head up and out of our own story a little bit, um, we might see what God might be doing. Now, next Next episode, guys, we're going to talk about sharing our lives when we're amongst people. We're going to get very specific and practical with some things that Jesse and I both have tried to live, and then maybe some things that will provoke ideas that are practical for you to kind of get out of your own kind of narrative and into the lives of others. But to live amongst people requires something, right? Now, probably since the 19th century, there's been more talk about culture, um, in our academic world and how culture shapes almost everything. We we actually live in a world where culture is so big that we almost think there are different, like, there are they're, they're different truths. There's different, you know, everything because of culture. Culture becomes the dominant thing in everything. But there are ways of living together, ways of seeing, ways of talking, ways of speaking, different languages, different uh, religions, all these things that you might get wound up into the word culture. As a Christian, God saves people out of the world, right, from every people, tribe, tongue, and language throughout history. So geotemporally, spatially related people, time, and place, and culture, right, by sending witnesses to them. And so in order to be amongst people, we have to engage the cultural worlds around us. Now, Jesse, this is a big cottage industry in Christianity too. Yeah. There's the cultural engagers, right? There's books on cultural engagement, and and a few years ago, probably decades now, I was thinking like, what does it mean to engage the culture? And usually, what people mean by that is like the world around us or something. But I was just like, you know, I don't think that's what we should be trying to do. Um, maybe you want to try to create a new culture and you're engaging it that way. But what we really want as witnesses is to engage people in culture. In other words, people who are enculturated, they are shaped, they're formed, right, by different narratives than, than the gospel, right? They're not shaped by creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Uh, they're, they're shaped by whatever idols or things the culture worships or the things they've been taught. And so it's like a river, a flow, a stream that we live in. I Like growing up in America, you know, my dad's this agnostic guy, and I, we didn't, you know, when I was six, he's, he asked 
hey, you and your brother, you can go to church if you want to. Do you want to? Because my mom grew up around that. Mm-hmm. My dad, you know, ex-Roman Catholic guy. And we said as a six-year-old, no, we don't want to go. So cartoons. We cartoons, yeah, whatever, you sleep in. Yeah. So yeah. Sunday church wasn't a thing, right? Um, but there was a culture that I was a part of. It was a, a individual individual achievement um, through athletics and academics, self-reliance, um, kind of be your own little glorified thing, right, to be the best you could be. I was living that narrative. And someone had to speak the gospel to me. Mm-hmm in time and place so that I could hear it. And this involves us to engage people in their cultural worlds. Yeah, I like that a lot, Reed. And I'm guilty of even talking a lot about engaging culture, writing on engaging culture. But the idea that, that really what I'm engaging with or we're, we're asking people to engage with is people and culture is helpful because even, even on the level of, you know, what I mean by that often is um, creating or engaging with artifacts that have been made, stuff, yes, uh, ideas, um, you know, stories and narratives. But, but ultimately, these things don't exist in the abstract. Like you're not, it's not just here's a thing that I'm going to do or, or engage with. It's actually because this person who made it is made in God's image and I want to engage with them or this person who's looking at it or this this, these people that are affected by this, my neighbors matter, and yeah. they're thinking this yes. way. So, so I need to engage with them by engaging with the thing that they're thinking about. You, yeah, I, I like this. You know, and I'm, I've been saying this in my own head a lot. We need to care about their world. In uh, that world is a cultural world. It's a mm-hmm. creative world. It's a world of artifacts. It's a world of religion. It's a world of gods and goddesses and pleasures yep. and yep. seeking all these things, right? Um, and so, if we want to do that. Um, Christians have taken different paths. Now, you you and I have talked about this. We may have even done it on the podcast. And, you know, we've read on this, right? We've read Niebuhrian categories. If yep. you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Or D.A. Carson's work. I mean, I do some of that in some, you know, the different ways the church has chosen to do it. I don't want to get into the academic complexity of this. I want to talk practically. Yeah. Um, there are some good ways or good paths. Let's take the good paths and some foolish or bad paths for engaging people in their cultural worlds. The first bad path, Jesse, for me is just to fight the people in culture all the time. I'm fighting the big bad world out there and we give the fist right to the culture. This takes form and it could be in rejection of certain cultural forms and music and media and stuff that maybe is evil. Um, or it takes an overly, certainly in our day, an overly politicized world where we view the vehicle to fight the culture is our political parties and we go to war, be it left or the right. That path of cultural engagement is bad because the world then just sees us as wanting to like take them out or something or 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 vote in the right person that will dominate them. And, and look, man, people outside the church are fearful of this, right? They they see, say, words like evangelicalism as not a an idea or a good word or a gospel word in evangel. They see it as a political move and trying to maybe oppress them. Mm-hmm. And certainly they don't understand it or care to listen to it, and that affects the cultural world we, in which we witness. You know, I was inter- it's interesting to think about how right now in our time and place, the fight is not even just between like Christians and non-Christians or, or sort of the church and the world. It's, it's typically left and right, which yeah. is often 
<laughs> Christians on the left and Christians on the right fighting each other. That's right. And that's not Certainly. that, that yeah. yeah, that's not that different in terms of church history. There's always been fights, right? right? So it's just that in the 16th century, it well, was the New Testament has a lot of yeah, uh, yeah, that's backgrounds right. and fights going on. You, you, they're just yeah. they're just not about political parties, yeah. right? So they might be about authority. They might yeah. be about the nature of Christ and you know his, the truth about something. Yeah, yeah but they're, they're, now it's the the uniqueness is it's it is overly politicized. That the, yeah. the sort of way of engaging with the world or people in the world is to fight them by politics. Yeah, and so here's how you check your heart, guys. If your view of quote the world is just to seek, kill, and destroy, mm. right? That is a demonic posture towards the world. Because Jesus would want us to use us to seek and to save that which is lost, right? Now, look, the second bad path is to engage in cultural surrender or cultural capitulation, where the first one, fighting, is given the fist. Uh, to, to surrender is just to wave the cultural white flag. In other words, we give up the gospel, we give up Christian distinctiveness, we give up Christian morals and ethics under societal pressure, and we just quit, tap out, and maybe just get become the world, right? Um, we see this in many religious traditions in North America, where you're like, wow, Harvard, you know, the Latin motto is veritas, uh, 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 veritas ecclesia, it's like truth for Christ and the church. My Latin uh, memory is poor here. Um, but yet, how did Harvard go for truth for Christ and his church to what it is today, or even the divinity school up there? Well, there is a cultural accommodation that becomes a cultural surrender, and then uh, Christians become a religious version of the world. Uh, and that uh, is pretty useless and pretty sad, uh, waving the white flag. I like the example from science, science fiction, Jesse, and I use use this over the years in sermons, whether people understood what I was saying or not, probably not a good preaching tip. Uh, but in Star Trek, the next generation, there's this group called the Borg Collective, right? Mm. The Borg basically says you will be assimilated. Your biological distinctiveness will become part of our own. And you basically become this synthesis hive mind of, of a, a thing together. And what happens is you lose your unique individualism, your own ideas, and you become part of the Borg. And I do believe culture can do that to people where we have our minds captured by the spirit of the age, right? Mm -hmm. The zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And we become just like them. And look, the world cannot be saved by a gospel that's be nice, be good, whatever it might be, according to the world's values and judgment, but Christ crucified, risen from the dead for our justification. If we surrender to the culture, we become something that's not salty anymore. And Jesus even said, what good is it at that point? So bad path fight, bad path surrender. Um, third path is is what I would just call hide. Hide from the culture, where which is basically disengagement. Um, whereas one would be the fist, one would be the white flag. This is the head in the sand. And just to say, what culture? And in those cases, we've camped down in the cul-de-sac and we'll have no witness. So those are bad paths, Jesse. Do you have any other bad path you could... I I of? don't, but I've got a great quote from Leslie Newbegin in, in his book, Foolishness to the Greeks, that sort of sums up all of these. Um, the, he says this, The church is the bearer to all the nations of a gospel that announces the kingdom, the reign, and the sovereignty of God. 
It calls men and women to repent of their false loyalty to other powers, to become believers in the one true sovereignty, and so to become corporately a sign, instrument, and foretaste of that sovereignty of the one true and living God over all nation, nations, nature, and all human lives. It's not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, mm. but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. Anyway, I just was thinking about Love this it. idea of like, we, we don't surrender, get yeah. assimilated. He, he's essentially saying the gospel cannot be, it cannot be assimilated, right? It, it, right. it necessarily contradicts that's right. any claim to kingship other than that's Jesus. Right. That's right. Um, and that's one of the things where Jesus as king has dominion. And so uh, underneath his rule and reign, new culture forms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what does that look like? Well, th- these are three words that they go back to, I think, a missiologist. I think it was Robert McQuilkin, also others like Ed Stetzer uh, kind of had written about these. But uh, I think this is a very good uh, rubric or evaluative framework of three wise paths to engage the cultural worlds around us, uh, receive, reject, and redeem. Certain aspects of the cultural worlds can simply be received and enjoyed, right? Um, it, it doesn't have to have a fish on it or or have a, you know, say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus every six seconds for it to be a piece of music you'd like, right? Uh, we can just simply receive. I think about my friend uh, Kelvin who uh, ran Ninja Sushi uh, in New Jersey, one of the best sushi places I've ever been to. I miss their dinosaur egg. Mm. This appetizer, unbelievable. Um, lobster meat, crunchy, wrapped in some avocados, bro. Mm, stop, unbelievable. Man, I'm so Big as a dinosaur right egg. So good. <laughs> so I could go in there and receive food, and there was there was some artifacts of you know Asian culture that Kelvin had you know, in his place. And I could simply enjoy that cultural world with him. I can receive it because it's not wicked. It's not wrong. It's just part of the cultural world. It's just good food. That's right. Just good, good food, good music, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, enjoyment. A second one though is, is reject. There is a rejection that Christians have to do because Jesus is King. Uh, we don't bow down and worship other gods. If you look at the book of Daniel, right? He's in Babylon. So he's, he's receiving some aspects of that culture, but yet he's rejecting some. When it comes to his allegiance mm. or his obedience, right, to God, you reject those things. Like, look, you're not like, hey, let's wife beaters for Jesus. We like really, Jesus likes wife beaters. No, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. We reject certain things in the cultural world. Like, we wouldn't want to um, sort of become a KKK high knight in order to redeem yeah. the KKK. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We reject these things firmly. We probably have a cultural moment like that now where different states are arguing in the law about whether or not teenagers should choose to mutilate, can choose to mutilate mm-hmm. their own bodies for, because of their internal world and gender expression and identity. Um, there's certain ideas like, hey, 15-year-old wants to remove a healthy body part. We, we reject this. Uh, as as a Christian, right, because of what we believe about creation, the image of God, and the purpose of the body. So certain things we can receive, certain things we reject, and then finally, some things need to be redeemed. In other words, they they maybe are good things that have been maybe perverted, twisted, um, that we can participate, but they need you know they need to be seen differently, worked on, uh, seen in redemption, right? You know. Christians have a long history in America with alcohol. Uh, alcohol in the Bible, at least, is 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 also uh, has a is presented like why God gave wine to make the heart of man glad in the Psalms, and then also don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Uh, there's these warnings. 
about the potential abuse of a good gift from God. As a Christian, we live redemptively related to something like alcohol or wine uh, to use it properly if we so choose and reject the abuse and twisted nature that that we could also do with God's good gifts, right? There's many things like that. Sexuality is another one, right, that, that needs redemption. The human family, you know, your, family. your own family might be a place. And, and of course, sometimes there, there are reasons to just say, I, I need to separate. And so, but, but generally, you know, your own family might be an example of a God-given good gift, something that God created in his, in his, in his order that still might need some redemptive yeah. work, yeah. you know, might need some, some gospel. You don't just go, everything here is good. I'm going to receive it. That's right. That's right. Uh, like That's you right. might with sushi. That's right. <laughs> you, you, That's right. You might need to get in there and work. And I would say... Jesse, in living amongst people and culture, redemption and redemptive work is kind of our primary task. Um, there is a fallen nature to almost everything. Everyone's every, there's right. Our human work is never perfect. Uh, it, we are involved in the work of love and redemption all the time, and that means we have to reject certain things to, to stay distinct and under the allegiance to King Jesus, and then there's other things we need to sit down with other people and enjoy life with them uh, in order, like we'll talk about next time, share life with them in order to share about Jesus uh, with them. Well, Jesse, as we try to find our place in that world, this is something we see by example, um, and I'm just going to quickly share these things today. Um, there is examples we see of people in the in the scriptures that actually lived this way, right? We see this in Jesus himself in John chapter four, the story of Jesus at all my Jacob's well people say amen at Jacob's well, right? We planted a church in New Jersey with that name because in this we see Jesus intentionally travel through a different place, Samaria, than he was from, where there was division between Jews and Samaritans. Mm -hmm. He saw a woman in need. He had compassion, and he engaged her. So he entered her world. He experienced life with her and engaged her with truth and grace that she needed. We see the same thing in in the life of the apostle, in, in Paul the apostle. Uh, in his engagement in Athens, an ancient kind of center of cosmopolitan and commerce and ideas. Uh, he entered the city of Athens, waiting for his friends he was on mission with. He saw a city, he experienced something, a city filled with idols, and it, it says he was distressed. Mm. He didn't like it that they were worshiping all this other stuff, right? And then he engaged, he reasoned with the people and preached Jesus at the synagogue, the marketplace, and then and on the Areopagus, or Mars Hill. So this idea of entering with people, experiencing life amongst them, like you live on the street, right? You know what it's like. It, it, it would be impossible. Like I was talking to somebody the other day about how much I love New Jersey culture and I miss New Jersey culture. And they're like, what's New Jersey culture? I was like, it's everything. It's just everything. But there's a little bit of fast paced edge to it, right? Um, that I thrived in. And I remember my first year being, you know, we were going up there to, you know, we didn't know anybody. We had five single guys quit their jobs, two young married couples move up together. And the whole first year we were learning where we were, what the flows mm. of people and culture were like. And I remember early on, some people saying, man, you're not from here. You're going to fit in really good here. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you don't mind our attitude. I just said something I thought was going to offend you. And you just kind of rolled with it. You even gave it back to me, right? Mm. And I was like, oh, I love it here. But you, we couldn't have done that, right, from Nashville. Like, hey, let's plan a church and set up a Zoom and do New Jersey church in Nashville. It's like nonsense. We had to live, right, incarnate 
amongst people as we enter, we experience life, and we engage people with Mm -hmm. the gospel. This means that we have to be present. We have to have a, a, a way to be around people, not just simply kind of like hit and run jobs. Like, hey, come in, I'll just shout shout at you about Jesus, or expect people just to come to our churches. We want real presence in the world with people so we can have relationships with them that could be fruitful for the sake of the gospel. There's Jesse, are you familiar with the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key? Um by Rosaria Butterfield. Have you read that book? Or you I'm familiar, familiar with, it? with it, but I have not. I read her other book, her sort of autobiographical memoir of conversion, but I have not read this one. Because she was like a deconstructionist, English, lesbian Correct. person. and Professor at Syracuse, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and became a believer. How about you read that quote for us there as we close today? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I've, I've got another quote uh, for the, for next week okay. for, or for next set, next uh, episode that's on hospitality and being with, uh, oh. engaging with. Awesome. Okay, so here, this is from The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Unbelievers need to see genuine acceptance from us. They need to see genuine love. They need to see that being made in the image of God is a higher calling, bestowing a greater dignity than inventing your own rules for faith and life. And look, guys, people know when you actually want to be with them. People know if you care about them. And acceptance of a human being is not an endorsement of everything they've ever thought or everything they do. No, nobody wants to be treated like that. Sometimes as Christians, it's frustrating, Jesse. We're like, well, if you're going to be seen with that person or talk to that person, do you know? This is exactly what the Pharisees said about Jesus. He's hanging out with like mm-hmm. hookers and con men and sinners and tax collectors. And they literally said, if this man were a prophet, if he was a real pastor or a real Christian, if the, he would know who this is mm-hmm. and he would reject her. Here's the thing. Jesus had this beautiful way to both love people and accept them into his presence, Right and call them to repentance and faith in Mm -hmm. a different way. Um, Accepting a person as a human being worthy of dignity and respect is not endorsing everything that they stand for, but it is a way we must love and be present with them so that we might be able to speak, right? That there is a higher calling than just inventing your own rules for life and faith. That allegiance to King Jesus is the true and better way. Mm. Next time, Jesse, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to talk about sharing our lives with other people. We're going to do our best to be vulnerable and share some experiences, our successes and failures in this. But I just want to say today, it's worth it to be on mission with Jesus, to be used of him, to seek and to save that which is lost. The Gospel Underground Podcast produced in partnership, monthly-ish, (laughs) bi-monthly-ish. With the Bonhoeffer House, review us on iTunes. Keep those coming, guys. They, those do help us with visibility. We, yeah. Our marketing department is you. <laughs> is you. Review us on iTunes, five stars, please. Send your comic feedback, questions you have for us to take up, maybe next time. Practically, we are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. And we hope to see you out there amongst them peoples. Peace. Peace. <laughs>